Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Clocked In with the Press, hosted at Altman Studios in Brentwood, California. We are here to spread some news and spill some tea so that you, our listeners, are both informed and entertained. Now, everything stated in this podcast is supported by or reflects the beliefs of the press. So if you have something to say, share on our Twitter or Instagram at PressClockedIn or on Facebook at ThePress.net. This is your host, Caitlin Gleason, clocking in. So for the story of the day, we are going to be talking about homelessness and domestic abuse in the local area. Specifically, we are going to talk about one, homelessness in California and Contra Costa County and how it affects our community, and two, the ways in which domestic abuse and homelessness are intrinsically connected. For some background statistics on the subject, according to the Homelessness Policy Research Institute, homelessness in California increased by more than 22% over the last decade. And nationwide, more than half of the people experiencing unsheltered homelessness are currently residing in California. According to 2019 estimates, the California homeless population is 65% male, 33% female, 1.2% transgender, and 0.4% are gender nonconforming. And then, according to the United States Interagency Council on Homelessness, as of January 2020, California had an estimated 161,000 people experiencing homelessness on any given day, as reported by Continuums of Care to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Lastly, public school data reported to the U.S. Department of Education during the 2018-2019 to school year shows that an estimated 271,000 public school students experienced homelessness over the course of the year. Before we bring in the guest speaker for today's subject, however, let's go over the top stories of the week. As the nation returns to in-person workplaces and schools amid a surge in COVID-19 cases, the American Red Cross faces an emergency blood and platelet shortage, according to the organization. The organization said in a news release that donor turnout has reached the lowest levels of the year, decreasing by about 10% since August. Those who are eligible to donate are urged to do so now to help overcome this current shortage. Blood product distributions to hospitals have remained strong, significantly outpacing blood donations in recent weeks. The Red Cross needs to collect 10,000 additional blood products each week over the next month to overcome the current shortage and meet the needs of patients in hospitals across the country. The Red Cross has had less than a day's supply of certain blood types in recent weeks. The supply of types O positive and O negative blood, the most needed blood types by hospitals, dropped to less than half a day supply at times over the last month, well below the ideal five-day supply. There is also an emergency need for platelets, which is the clotting portion of blood and must be transfused within five days of donation. Next, several law enforcement agencies will be collecting expired, unused, and unwanted prescription or over-the-counter drugs from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. during National Drug Take-Back Day on October 23rd. Needles and sharps cannot be accepted. Only pills, patches, and liquids sealed in their original containers will be accepted. Vape pens or other e-cigarette devices from individual consumers are accepted only after the batteries have been removed from the devices. According to the Contra Costa County Office of the Sheriff, the National Prescription Drug Take-Back Day addresses a crucial public safety and public health issue. The 2019 National Survey on Drug Use and Health reported that 9.7 million people ages 12 or older misused prescription pain relievers in the previous year. The study shows that a majority of abused prescription drugs were obtained from family and friends, often from the home medicine cabinet. Next, a 27-year-old Hayward woman died in a solo vehicle collision early Sunday morning on Concord Avenue in Brentwood. Brentwood police say the woman was a passenger in an undisclosed vehicle that veered off the roadway and collided with a split-rail fence while traveling eastbound on Concord Avenue near Bikini Lane at about 1.40 a.m. 
The unidentified driver of the vehicle was transported to a local hospital with major injuries. The name of the deceased woman has been withheld pending her next of kin be notified. According to the police, the cause of the accident, including whether drugs or alcohol were involved, remains under investigation. Lastly, for hometown sports, for the ninth year in a row, Heritage claimed a league championship, though it was close. Fighting strong wins, the Patriots finished with a score of 525, edging ahead of Liberty, who finished at 528. Third place Freedom was not far behind, shooting a 540. Heritage had already won the regular season title, going 10-0 for the year. With an added win over every other BVAL team in the tournament, the Patriots finished the season at 15-0. For some of the BVAL golfers, the tournament was the final match of the season. Others will move on to the North Coast Section Division 2 Championship slash individual qualifier on Monday, October 25th at Vallejo's Blue Rock Springs West Course. As league champions, Heritage will bypass that tournament. Those were the top weekly stories, so let's get back to the main story at hand. Here to talk with me today about the subject is Carol Patterson, CEO of Shepherd's Gate, an organization that works to combat homelessness, drug abuse, and also provides aid to domestic abuse survivors. So hi, Carol. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. So to start off, tell me a little bit about Shepherd's Gate. When was it established and you know what specifically it does and even potentially how many people it's managed to help? So Shepherd's Gate started back in 1984 Mm -hmm. in Livermore, California, with our first uh, homeless shelter. And then we moved to Brentwood in 2006 Mm -hmm. to start our second location. And what we provide is we are a long-term recovery program for Mm -hmm. women and children. And the reason... Typically, it's a year-long program for a woman to help in every aspect of her life. So, yes, we help those that are suffering from homelessness, poverty, um, those that are suffering from addiction, whether it be Mm -hmm. alcohol or any other substance, and those that uh, suffer from domestic violence. Mm Mm-hmm. When it comes to the amount of people that you help kind of on an annual basis, say, has Shepherd's Gate seen an increase in the number of cases you work on that monthly or annual um, basis? So this past year, we helped 142 women Mm -hmm. and children. Over the years, we've helped over 3,500 women and children to graduate from our program. On the domestic violence side during the pandemic, there's an estimate of about a 35% increase in domestic violence cases. Many of those are 911 calls reported. But to actually come and come to a rescue situation like ours for them, that is more unlikely only because of their abuser during the pandemic Mm -hmm. has multiple reasons of why he's going to um, keep them sheltered in place Mm -hmm. and the threats of contracting the virus if you Mm -hmm. leave him. We actually saw a decrease in the amount of DV cases, Mm -hmm. but we saw an increase in those that suffer from homelessness, increase in the elderly that suffer from homelessness, and also an increase in children that are in foster care that are being reunited with their mothers. So a mother might have lost her children Mm -hmm. and to meet the court's expectations, she needs to do a recovery program. Mm -hmm. 
And so we actually helped reunite 18 children from foster care or other offsite care. Typically in a year, it's 12 children, Hmm. but now we're at 18. Children are unique because not a lot of places serve homeless children or children of domestic violence because when they get into school age, there's a lot more issues and concerns to help a child. And so we take girls up to 18 and boys up to 12. So we're rare in that. And the court system knows that we really work alongside women in every aspect of their lives. So they're better prepared to be the mom that they need to for a child. It's not against the law to be homeless. It has to be more than just homelessness that's going to bring in child protective services to take away a child. Okay, so there so for child protective services to take a child from a mother, it would be homelessness on top of say addiction and then that's where it would come in. Or? It could just be addiction. Mm. It could be just domestic violence. If the child is in danger, that's when child protective services okay. steps in. So when it comes to, say, you know, kids that are living in their own cars, for example, and going to school, will Child Protective Services take no, that child no, in or are they just mm-mm. going to remain it's homeless? Not a, it's not against the law for a mother and her children to be homeless in a car. I've often seen, you know, the term homeless and the term unsheltered homeless being mm-hmm. used in different saying that they're different. And so my question for you is, what is the difference between the category of homeless and unsheltered homeless? So a homeless person is someone that doesn't have a permanent indoor place to sleep, Mm -hmm. where an unsheltered person is someone that's living in a location that's not your regular type of place, whether that be a car, a tent, an abandoned building or an abandoned house. Mm -hmm. So it's not your typical place that's safe for someone to live. Mm -hmm. And that is what the unsheltered means. So unsheltered homelessness kind of implies this idea that there's a lack of permanency and a lack of, you know, solidification rather than just if there's a roof over their head or something over their head. Right. And and when you see the homeless counts, they know exactly in these homeless counts how many shelter beds they have. Mm-hmm. And then they know that the rest of them must be unsheltered. The other thing that's not being counted or considered is those that are called hoppers mm-hmm. and they live on someone's couch. In Contra Costa County specifically, how many people currently suffer from homelessness in general? So when I say homelessness there, I mean including unsheltered and sheltered. Yeah, the only solid number that we have to go by is the point-in-time count that's done every year, and that is 2,277. Mm-hmm. And of that number, we know that we have 707 shelter beds, mm-hmm. and then we know that... 1,500 of those will be unsheltered because we don't have a shelter bed for Mm -hmm. them in Contra Costa County. So the majority of them are currently unsheltered. So that's about a 70% um, rate that Mm -hmm. are unsheltered. Of the total number, what is the demographic of that number in Contra Costa County? So how many of them would be men? How many of them are women? Is there a disproportionate rate of more commonality towards men or towards Mm -hmm. women? So 
I think you had said it before in some of your statistics, we're Mm -hmm. about 65% men that Mm -hmm. are unsheltered or homeless in Contra Costa County. So it's 35% Mm -hmm. range for women. In your experience, what are some of the leading causes of homelessness? I guess, what are the ways in which it's manifesting itself here in Contra Costa County? The primary one is the affordability of living here in Contra Costa County Mm -hmm. with the rents going up and the cost of living. That is primarily the reason. Mm -hmm. So think of someone that has to work X number of hours at a minimum wage job to be able to afford a $1,500, $2,300 one-bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. And if they can't make that rent, then they're evicted. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the primary reasons. Then you have other reasons such as divorce, substance abuse, could be arguments within the home and someone's being exited out of the family. When you talk about addiction, you know, some people do choose their addiction rather than paying for their rent. Hmm. It's a very costly situation when you choose addiction, whether it be meth, heroin, alcoholism. And those are those that struggle maybe with also mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So the increase in mental health during the pandemic has increased quite a bit. Yeah, and then on top of that, right, getting treatment for mental health is also something that could be expensive. So then you have rent, and then you also have expenses for treatment. You know, you, you'd you be surprised. There are fewer and fewer therapists mm-hmm. across America getting a degree in psychology to be a therapist. So there's a lack of that mm. in psychiatric care. So people are suffering with their mental health. Mm-hmm. And then there are those that are just suffering from ailments. Mm. We find that a large percentage of the homeless have not had a physical exam or a dental exam. How do you see, you know, in Shepherd's Gate, how do you see homelessness impacting local communities? Like when we have a problem of homelessness in that a lot of people suffer from it, how do we see that impact the community at large? Well, you typically, you'll see larger encampments in your community, people living in tents or on the sidewalk. You'll see increase in crime. Mm -hmm. If you even think of Brentwood and you look at the Facebook pages of the local police department in Brentwood or Antioch, they are hitting the beat out there and confiscating more and more drugs and guns on a regular weekly basis. And with social media, they're able to tell you about the increase of this. Mm -hmm. Drugs are a serious issue in our community, and it's affecting younger and younger people. Mm -hmm. So that is an outcome. How do women come to the program? Is it Mm. something that they have to pay for later on, or how does that all operate? That's a good question, because a lot of programs do financially charge women for a recovery program. Mm -hmm. We don't. We're a totally free program. Our donors financially support this, Mm -hmm. and we don't take any government funds either. So we're very unique in that, but we are a Christian program. Mm -hmm. But women come from all over the country and find Shepherd's Gate. 
it's not just people that live in Contra Costa County. Mm -hmm. It could be someone in North Carolina that sees us on the website and sees how beautiful our campuses are and how extensive our program is that says, that's what I need to rebuild my life. So people get on Greyhound buses and come to us. Mm. But I would say probably about 65% of our women and children come locally from the county. Mm. A lot of the court systems know who Shepherd's Gate is and how extensive our program is. And so they will, a judge will refer a woman to our program as well. When it comes to the relief efforts Mm -hmm. for homelessness, how has the pandemic impacted that? So the state of California incorporated Operation Room Key, and they reserved different motels and hotels for the homeless. And what they did was they made it a priority to place those that were at highest risk of contracting COVID, and they put them as first priority into those motels. Mm -hmm. Now, today, they realize that that helped with the emergency relief of homelessness. And so they're in the process of purchasing these motels permanently as a relief for homelessness. Mm -hmm. The other thing is with these counts of how many homeless are where, specifically Antioch has put their resources together with some other cities and they are building a shelter. But unfortunately, that shelter is going to take three plus years to Mm -hmm. build. So it's not an immediate fix to the situation. They're also bringing in some FEMA trailers into Antioch, and that will probably go to the most serious cases, whether it be the elderly or a woman and child for those FEMA trailers, because there's going to be very few of them. Mm. So the core team, which is Contra Costa County's street team that goes out every day to help the homeless, they really dedicate a lot of their time to find the homeless that need that emergency room to be able to get into Operation Room Key. Mm. So That is a great thing that Contra Costa County has done is that they've developed a team of employees that on a daily basis go out to the encampments and help them. And they also refer people to Shepherd's Gate. What are some common misconceptions that people have about homelessness and how do those misconceptions impact people in need or impact relief efforts? So one of the biggest misconceptions is if you put a roof over their heads, they'll be all better. Mm. You really don't know what brought them to homelessness, whether it be mental health, domestic violence, poverty, lack of education and job skills. So the whole thing about let's just put a roof over their head They need so much wraparound services around them to help identify the areas that they need to work on. Now, they're probably going to fight you tooth and nail to not want to do those wraparound services, but holding them accountable for that. Another misconception would be that, well, if they just got a job, then they should be able to afford to live here. Mm -hmm. But if you think about if it was 
If it was a woman who was suffering from domestic violence, oftentimes they don't have a separate bank account. They don't have a car of their own Mm -hmm. that they can take with them. And they would need to get a job and save first month, last month, and a security deposit. But often with no credit history or bad debt, then an apartment complex can actually they can say we want three months worth of rent to move in. So just to think of how big that financial amount would be before they can move into an apartment. Mm -hmm. I'm always an advocate of if, if 54% of those that suffer from homelessness are abusing drugs or alcohol, then that gives us a trigger as a county that we need more detox centers because Often they're not thinking clearly to make good decisions Mm -hmm. if they've just used heroin. So if a core worker was to come and share with them, there's a place for you today, there's so much shame and low self-esteem that they can't even hold their heads up high enough to be able to say, yes, I want to choose to have a bed Mm -hmm. and work on my life. So with detox centers, it's amazing how much it clears the mind and helps them make good decisions Mm -hmm. to sleep eight hours a night, to have three meals, and to be clean of the substance for at least a week. Mm -hmm. Then they're thinking better. You can walk up to a homeless person today and say, hey, I will put you in an apartment. I will give you a job. But they might not be ready to say, yes, that I am worthy mm-hmm. to be able to save my life. So I guess like what I'm hearing here is that homelessness is almost a cyclical struggle and that once you're in it, it's very difficult to get out. And it's not necessarily an overnight fix that, you know, our county or the state needs, but really a subsuming type of fix that would take a lot of building upon in order to be effectual. Right. The core team, because they go out and they make relationships with the people in the encampment, then the homeless, they can trust them and build that relationship in order to say, I guess I could do this. Mm -hmm. They can find hope. It does take that relationship to build. How can an average person do their part in homelessness relief efforts? seeing someone on the street that's sitting there in dismay and you're passing them by, what are you going to do? Offering them money is not the solution because they could use that money inappropriately. Mm -hmm. Having a water bottle, saying hi, recognizing them because there is someone in there behind those eyes that is real and her name is Nancy or his name is Tom Mm -hmm. and we don't know what happened to them to bring them to this state. So relieving ourselves of that judgment Mm -hmm. for a homeless person and what I do is I keep hygiene kits in my car and so in a hygiene kit might be a toothbrush and toothpaste, mm-hmm. travel size, wipes, sanitation, liquid, Kleenex, you know, things that 
every person needs on a daily basis. And just offering that and recognizing them as a human being, that can just help them a little bit get enough hope to lift up their head. So it's more being willing to just treat a person with respect as a human being and with decency, because mm-hmm. even if they're suffering from homeless, they're still a person. Mm-hmm. And, and just doing that is a way to just let people know that they still matter and mm-hmm. that they're not invisible. And sometimes I recommend doing this in teams. So you don't know if they have a mental health issue or if they are a substance user. So sometimes asking someone to go with you Mm -hmm. To do this is a safer situation than doing it by yourself. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming out today. I hope this helps the audience just understand the complex issue of homelessness Mm -hmm. and how it's a team effort to help them overcome this and that it is truly possible. Mm -hmm. We see 85% success rate in our program that the women graduate with that they have housing, they have a job or going to college, and that they have a support group and a church family. So it's a long road, Mm -hmm. and it's not an easy fix. And if anybody has any questions out there, they can always email me at cpatterson at shepherdsgate.org or go to our website at Mm shepherdsgate.org. Absolutely. Well, thank you. That's it for today's episode of Clocked In with the Press. What are homelessness relief programs that you have heard of in your local area? How can you help to improve our community through aid to homeless individuals? Let us know your thoughts on today's episode on Twitter or Instagram at PressClockedIn or on Facebook at ThePress.net. You can also stay updated on the latest Contra Costa news on our website, www.thepress.net. There are a million people out there with a million stories, and I hope to talk about them one episode at a time. This is your host, Caitlin Gleason, clocking out. <laughs>